0: angelus Dominin, nuns vit Santo. Ave Maria, Disse, anhem. Oberst du Misge me in
1: Hello and welcome to the Liturgical Looking Glass, a program that looks at the Church's liturgy for the week ahead. With me, Tim Hutchinson.
2: And me, Nick Swalbrick. And today on the Liturgical Looking Glass, we've got another chance to look at the music and liturgy that form part of the 50 days of Easter, and it's another week with some significant saints' days in it too. Tim, start us off with a prayer, please, and explain why you chose this particular collect.
1: So this is the collect for this coming Sunday, um, which we're going to speak about at length today, and um, the two phrases which I really love in it, and I'll I'll mention them in a moment. Um, So let's begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty ever-living God, lead us to a share in the joys of heaven, so that the humble flock may reach where the brave shepherd has gone before, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So I really love the, the, the um, juxtapositioning of the humble flock and the brave shepherd. And um, I almost feel like those, those adjectives could be, uh, they, they sort of complement... Uh, they obviously complement each other; they fit into one another, but um you can kind of think, well, the humble flock is being called into the bravery of the shepherd, but we also know that the shepherd is a humble shepherd too um so anyways that's cause pr- for some reflection for me as as these collects so often do
2: absolutely there is something about that bravery uh in the older translation the one that we've we've just got rid of a few years ago it talks about the courage of christ the shepherd it is an interesting notion we have an oddly disassociated version of he just sort of strolls through it all and feels sad at various points that the courage of the shepherd to go through the experience of death and resurrection i think is something that is worth contemplating
1: Hmm. now we're going to start with some uh, reflections on uh, the week (laughs) that's coming and, um, and reflection is a, is a word that we're going to come back to uh, a little bit later. Um, but tell us a bit about this first hymn that we, we're going to be uh, not singing. Well, we could sing it, but... We'll, we could
2: we'll, sing it if you want to join in, then that's absolutely fine. But I think I will restrain myself at this point. Uh, this is an oddly quiet piece of Easter wake-up music. It's the Hymnus Eucharisticus. Uh, from Magdalen College and I'll explain it very briefly and give you a bit of a translation of it this is the hymn sung from the top of Magdalen College Oxford Tower at six o'clock on the morning of May the 1st. There are various ideas as to why we might be singing something from the top of Magdalen Tower at such an unearthly hour in the morning. Except, of course, you have to remember that for medieval and early modern people, six o'clock when when it's light is not particularly early. Mm -hmm. Having to get up at four in order to get down and beat the crowds into the Botanic Garden, which is what I'm gonna have to do on, on Monday morning, does make it a little penitential until we get to this moment. Then all of a sudden, the um, the clock tower at Magdalen rings out six and the crowd that are all across Magdalen Bridge and up the high street fall silent, more or less. And we hear this beautiful hymn to the Trinity. Now, the text is interesting. It's a, a post-Reformation uh, hymn and is very obviously not a... Uh, a a Maytime, a springtime hymn. It says, we worship you, O God, the Father. We offer you our praise, for you nourish our bodies and and minds with heavenly grace. You can see that this is someone's um, metrical translation. We adore you, O Jesus, you, the only begotten son, you who did not disdain to submit to birth in the virgin's womb. Driven onto the cross, you were made the victim of God's wrath. Through you, our only saviour, hope of life returned to us. To you, eternal spirit, by whose breath was born by Mary, the infant God, be our eternal blessings. Triune God of all humanity, the great author of salvation, this immense mystery our tongues all cheer and sing. And here we go with the Hymnus Eucharisticus.
1: Wonderful thing to hear first thing in the morning, um, and often when one has not had a wink of sleep. I wonder if you've ever managed to do that. Yeah.
2: Uh, I'm afraid I have. I've also managed to stay up until about five o'clock in the morning and think I'll just have a quick nap, and then actually overlooking the crowds on um, uh, on the high street and just next door but one to the tower, I managed to sleep through the whole thing. I know. I've managed to do both, I'm afraid. But Tim, you've been, what, what are your expri- uh, impressions
1: of it? I've only been once, and I, I'm not altogether sure why I missed it so many times. But last year was the first time that I went to um, the May Day celebrations on Magdalen Bridge. Because um, I have I have lived in, in Oxford at two different times. Um, and I'm pretty sure I've been there on the 1st of May more than once. Um, but last year was the first time, as I said, and it was really... Uh, Something completely new to me and um the obviously the dancing and everything that happens in the streets afterwards was just amazing and um there was what what, what struck me about it though was um first of all you you're standing on Magdalen bridge I haven't tried the botanical gardens uh, um way of doing it, but um there is a chance that that I might give that a go um and it is completely packed with people and and to demonstrate just how packed this was there was somebody who was trying to come across the bridge in i think a, a tesco's um uniform on on her way to work and had to sort of squeeze through the crowd you know putting one hand in front of her and and said the words as she passed the wrong day to come to work in the morning <laughs> <laughs> yes, and um absolutely. and the place was was just buzzing with with chatter, and a lot of people in their in their uh, black tie um, from the night before, you know, still under the influence. and um and I thought to myself, how on earth are we going to hear the choir singing from from Magdalen Tower? But when the choir began, it was wonderful. Everybody just went completely quiet, and yes. the music, the the sound of the singing came wafting over, and I thought, "Oh, this is wonderful!" You know, at least, um, at least this tradition is is uh, respected in that way that people of all different kind of uh, persuasions, and and it was quite evident that that was the case. Um, uh, unfortunately, the the prayers got a bit of um, sniggering and foring from from a few people but um but they were there and they and we and we all listened and then the celebrations began um and then i went and, and was trying to find a place to have breakfast and the methodist church was giving away free um uh, breakfast baps, which was much welcomed <laughs> excellent excellent so i'm actually going to be there on monday i'm really looking forward to that um so i might i might so uh, cool. grab you for a coffee if you're that's an, that's
2: an ideal way of doing it. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be in the Botanic Gardens because uh, my wife's a friend and we get, to, uh, we get to do that. We, in fact, had a flat in the Botanic Gardens when we first got married, which is
1: quite oh, astonishing. Oh, wow. so, amazing.
2: Um, it was great. Uh, but afterwards, we come out and join everybody else. And it's, it's a riot in the streets from people doing traditional Morris dancing right through to rock bands. And just to add the sort of 17th-century flavour, there is usually a preacher telling us that we shouldn't be doing this because this is not what Jesus wants. Really? Uh, yes, it's 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 a, it's an odd piece of almost reconstruction of the whole affair that we yeah. have both voices being heard. And I think both voices need at least to be considered as part of the experience.
1: Yeah. Gosh, it it almost feels like a um, like it's been scripted.
2: I yes, I don't think it has been, but it, it certainly is something that is worth listening to. Someone preaching over the sound of Morris dancing is is it just says 17th century to me. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, playing a bit of Morris dancing might be stretching the um purpose of this programme a, a bit. So we're going to move on um from from the May Day celebrations to the Sunday uh coming up, which is just the day before the May Day celebrations this year. Yep.
2: And it's Good Shepherd
1: Sunday. That's right. And hence the inclusion of those beautiful lines in the colic that we prayed of the, the humble flock and the brave shepherd. And um, we're going to use one of the, the, the English settings of the it, um to, to introduce this, uh, this Sunday. And um, we'll say a, a thing or two about it once we've heard it. Here it is. The fourth Sunday of Easter. And this is from one of the Simple English propers.
3: The earth is full of the mercy of the Lord. Alleluia. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were established. Alleluia, alleluia. Bring out your joy to the Lord, O you just, for praise is fitting for the upright. Give thanks to the Lord upon the heart. With a ten string lute, sing him songs, or sing him a song that is new. Play skillfully with shouts of joy The earth is full of the mercy of the Lord Alleluia
1: And so the antiphon comes in again there after the verses of the psalm have been sung and um, this can be found for free Online, and we will put the link up on a um, on the blog post uh, that we've been keeping. And um, Nick and I were wondering if um, if anyone who listens to this has given these uh, introits and communion antiphons and offertory antiphons a-, a go. We'd love to hear from you, or if you you're up for a challenge. I think um, uh, that it would be really interesting to to see how uh, they they've been used. Um, You haven't used them before in your parish, have you, Nick? Uh,
2: Well, no. Uh, uh, Bruno Clifton, one of the priests in the House of Studies, when he's not being his uh, other job as a biblical scholar in Jerusalem, has tried using some of them and says that they work very well he's got a beautiful voice and does a a solo version which i've tried to replicate by using the the ones in the roman gradual but they do work quite nicely because the person that has written them has looked very carefully and lived and breathed these antiphons before setting pen to paper and trying to compose something like them i think you have to trust them they are not like were produced in the 1920s and 30s, direct translations where mm. they squeezed the words into the uh, into the Gregorian chant text. But they do work as a piece of, if you like, almost tribute to the Gregorian uh, opus. And I think they are worth, worth exploring, I really do. If anybody is stuck for what they're going to do, particularly after Pentecost, then I would thoroughly recommend them.
1: Yeah. What would you say would be a good way of doing it? Because you could have um, the faithful singing the antiphon and the verses, or you could have the choir singing the antiphon and then the the faithful singing the verses.
2: Um. I think it does need, like I was saying last week, I think it needs a few people to be involved in it rather than just a single voice. And I think that there's something about sustainability it's, it's, mm-hmm. it, Uh, imperative, really. If you're going to do it, then you have to do it properly, and I think that probably means either you set aside a week uh, every month to do it, or you do it for solemnities, or maybe you don't do it for solemnities because they've got hymns that people are really attached to. There's a lot that a parish needs to consider when it's doing these kind of changes but I do like the idea that a choir could do them slightly more complex. They're not that complex, but slightly more complex um, antiphons. And then maybe by writing out the psalm in such a way that people can follow where they need to move in the psalm, you could actually get everybody to have a go at them. Mm. The other way of doing it, of course, will be to have the antiphons sung and for everybody else to join in, it's a um, you know, death by a thousand photocopies again. I'm afraid, but you could give everyone the text, and I think that that's a um, that would be a useful thing to do—to give everybody the text, and then they could read them, and then the antiphon would be at the end. Mm-hmm. You could get use, get people used to saying the psalms and bringing the psalms back into their central place in the liturgy, which I think is is an important thing that we could all think about doing.
1: Yeah, and the lovely thing about these introits, I know we we need to. To be spending a lot of time on this one is that they. I sometimes find that they have a sort of like a the the um, function of being a key to understanding the rest of the mass, which is Absolutely. why I think it's such a shame to to replace them with a hymn. Um, you find within this opening passage something that kind of ties the rest of the readings together. So we're going to play the Latin version of this. Um, and um, you'll hear that it's it's quite different. The the person who has uh, set the text to English to uh, set the English text to music hasn't copied it um, exactly. And I think there's there's a wisdom to that. So here we go. <laughs> something so wonderful about that uh, that major triad that goes um rising on the on the first alleluia
2: yes it is know. amazing isn't it? it's a wonderful piece from that point of view there are lots of phrases in it i think one of the things that don willie broad who, who taught me how to sing chant properly always said listen to where it's going rather than where you are so those alleluia's are great but you have to remember that final alleluia is really where you've been aiming for since the Misericordius right at the very beginning. It's a sentence. It's not just a set of phrases you've got to stagger through. And if you get that flow going, then it becomes a thing of beauty, it really does.
1: I wonder though, when setting, these to, to setting the English text to music, why not just keep the original alleluias? I mean, it's the same word. Um,
2: the alleluias could be kept, couldn't they? You're mm. quite right. Um, maybe it is about singability though. If you think about alleluia, alleluia, you see, I ran out of breath singing that. How would a congregation manage that? How would you teach a choir to do it? It requires a little bit of living and breathing with it. I mean, you've taught some of this before, haven't you?
1: Yes, this is one of the few ones that is exactly the same. Well, almost exactly. There maybe one or two parts that are, are the same, are slightly different in, in the Cistercian Gradual, which which I've sung and, and had to teach a, a small group of people to do it. Um, and um, it's true, it is difficult. But the thing about these ones is that they're difficult um, with a purpose. And you find that once you've got them, you've got them, and you don't forget them um whereas when things are too easy sometimes they don't have a they don't stick in your mind so you'll you'll forget them immediately after singing them like i couldn't remember what the hallelujah was for the previous one but i don't want to bash it because i think it's really good
2: <laughs> i think it's really good too and i think that probably part of that is is about a kind of cultural capital around this you've sung it often enough that it, it becomes ingrained perhaps the same would be true if we could find either a parish or someone enthusiastic enough that knows that they've done it for two or three years and says well the first year it was a bit ropey and the second year i over trusted people but by the third year we were getting to where everybody needed to be yeah. i don't know what that that experience would be. Yeah. I do yeah. know that those those simple English propers are a way of introducing a kind of Gregorian idiom to the to the newer rites of the mass and I think that that's not to be not to be set aside lightly.
1: No, it's not. It's not definitely not. Um all right. We had a very interesting Gloria last week and we want to do something um, a little bit more conventional but uh, with the conventional but with um, something of a a twist could we call it that or maybe that's not quite the right word but um shall we listen to it first or do you have something you'd like to listen to
2: it first and then um just be prepared for how it changes okay let's do it
1: You mentioned how the video of this was something to, to um, take note of, and
2: I think if we put the link to the to the video up, it's well worth seeing. It is a complete. Um, historical liturgical reenactment of the Serum Rite in Salisbury Cathedral and what you've just heard. If you've got it, for example, this a triple intonation. The choir sing the <laughs> just to start off with. Then the cantor sings it to prompt the priest and the celebrant then sings the Gloria in excelsis Deo. And it's a full version. Just at the end there, they're moving into the collect. It's worth seeing the differences between the Roman Rite and the the use from Serum, the use that became the English way of doing things because the Serum Rite spread, particularly after the uh, introduction of printing. It becomes part of the the roots of us as English Catholics, I think, and particularly, I'm, I'm very conscious of that this week because May the 4th is the celebration of the Reformation martyrs. And we'll come back to that in a little while. John Shepherd being one of those uh, mid 16th century composers who must have seen the changes come in comfortable or uncomfortable as he was with it we i don't think know though we do know about william bird who will be coming on to in a bit mm. should we change the mood at this point and move into something further on good shepherd sunday last time we had a look at the Lord's my shepherd as a responsorial psalm we didn't have time to play you a piece by a An Israeli group called Mikedem, and it's taken me quite a while to figure out how to pronounce that. But (laughs) they are Mikedem, and here is their version, which they they um, performed during quarantine of Psalm twenty three. Adonai roi lo the Lord is my shepherd, and I want for nothing. So here we go with at least some of Mikedem singing, "The Lord's my shepherd."
4: Don't I go?
2: enjoying that
1: tim i was i struggle to to end it um, before the <laughs> the end if you've just started listening this is uh the liturgical looking glass and um we're looking at the liturgy of the week ahead and that was a version of the um of psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd sung in um, hebrew by Mikedim.
2: yes and now on to more Hebrew. Um, I'd like us to listen to some, at least, of Leonard Bernstein's churches to Psalms. He set a version of Psalm 23. Adonai, roi lohisa, the Lord is my shepherd. I do not want. He set this in his own inimitable style. And it is set, if we get that far, which we may not, it, it's, it's a long piece, uh, with uh, against a male choir singing, why do the nations rage? It's a real sense of a plea for peace when we when everyone around us is in turmoil. And here, therefore, we hear a single soloist singing as if in the voice of David. That's what the harp is there for, singing the psalm, and then that's taken up by a whole female choir. If we could hear that, that'd be great.
1: Again I got a bit carried away there um, I was I suggested earlier that we would um, comment as the music went along, especially before that change. but um, just got a little bit swept with with the whole um, the whole movement of it
2: but at least then everybody gets to hear that sudden llama why La shouted if you like for, from from mm. from the chorus and i think it's worth worth listening to simply because of that the first time i heard it i hadn't been prepared for it and i was kind of bowled over by by the the violence of it i think it's it's worth listening to the lord is my shepherd but yeah. why do the nations rage
1: and i really um appreciate the the uh choice of 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 singers there um i find so the the girl who's singing the the main part she's she almost feels like it feels like you're listening to a shepherdess you know that she's got a slightly sort of um uh crackly at, at times uh, you know her voice hasn't come into its full maturity yet and if you see the the video of it i mean she's really young wearing braces kind of um gives the impression of of someone right at the beginning of of a promising singing career um yeah. so a very interesting choice yeah
2: uh, so shall we move from the Lord's my shepherd to what tomorrow's feast day is? It's almost as if we're moving backwards here, but we've given primacy <laughs> for Sunday. Yes. But tomorrow is St. Catherine of Siena, and she's one of the four patrons of Europe and a doctor of the church. That's right. And, um, do you want to carry on with telling us a little bit about a bit yes. more about
1: something? So as, as we've said before, um, one of the things that we do here in this program, the liturgical looking glass, is to try and look at the beauty and the wisdom of the church's liturgy and um, so we're going to take an excerpt from tomorrow's uh, office, re- office of Readings. Um, and this is a translation that is found on the Universalis app um, or website. It's not accredited, so it's probably translated by um, their web developer. Um, so here it is. Eternal trinity, Godhead, mystery, deep as the sea. You could give me no greater gift than the gift of yourself. You are a fire that takes away the coldness, illuminates the mind with its light and causes me to know your truth. By this light, reflected as it were in a mirror, I recognize that you are the highest good, one we can neither comprehend nor fathom. And I know that you are beauty and wisdom itself.
2: Lovely. St. Catherine talking directly, as she often does uh, to to God, and God's responses to her are are also worth reading. They're revelatory, revelatory in all sorts of ways. And she's a beautiful writer. Here she's got a lot to say. But we've got that bit about reflected in a mirror. We see God's beauty and truth. And isn't that what the liturgy does? I think it's great.
4: Yeah.
2: Her her often complicated work for the reform of the church, and I choose those words with some um, hesitation because she's at one level an ambiguous figure in church history, but in terms of the development of Christian spirituality, she's absolutely central. But she also worked for peace within the warring states of the Italian peninsula, and I just wonder whether we could hear a bit of the the plea for peace sung by the uh, ensemble Organum. Give peace, O Lord, in our time, for there is no other that fight for us. Um, it's worth listening to. This is a reconstruction of an antiphon and psalm, as if in the style of perhaps the twelfth or thirteenth century. The-
1: Quite a variety of different um, settings and styles that we're we're producing on today's liturgical looking glass. And I always love these ones with the drones, uh, they just seem to take you into a completely different world. Um, Absolutely. And you want to sort of be there where they are, um, sort of good hearty singing. Um, so,
2: shall we move, therefore, from the hearty singing there to uh, listening, uh, either listening to or talking about the uh, uh, a Cistercian convent that you had been in touch with? Is yes, that right? Uh, so,
1: I mean, so we're jumping around a little bit um, in terms of feast days. We're back on the first of May, which is Saint um, Joseph the Worker. Um, we don't have anything to to play from this, and we don't have the time, unfortunately. Um, but at some point, I'd love us to, to play some music from the uh, French uh Female Monastery of, and I'm going to butcher the pronunciation because French pronunciation is just an absolute mystery to me, um, Boulot. It, does that sound right to you? You're better at you're shaking I'll, your head.
2: I'll, I will, <laughs> what I'll do is I will find them, and then once, once I've seen it written down, I'll have a, I'll have a stab at it. But, they, yeah.
1: they have... Um, I mean, I've heard them rated as one of the best monastic choirs in the world. And um, they have the most beautiful office books. They've been hand-painted with watercolors by their, their founder, um, foundress. And um, I was once given a postcard from that was just a, a photograph of the office book from the Feast of St. Joseph. And so right at the... Um, as a sort of illumination, in watercolours was a picture of St. Joseph with the Christ child on his lap, and he was busy spoon-feeding Jesus. And it was just delightful. And then came after that the um, the plainchant text, uh, which were just uh, written in watercolours really beautifully. And I really would love to have played that, but I couldn't find the postcard and I, I could have perhaps sung a few of those lines um, in my morning voice. Um, so maybe it's a good thing that we, I've spared you <laughs> spared you that this morning.
2: Well, let's do a bit of research and see if we can find them at mm, another
1: time. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good idea.
2: So we've done that particular feast day. We've done St. Catherine. We've also got some Philip and St. James to con- consider. And um, if we could, I'd like us to listen to the communion for that uh, for, for that feast day. It's interesting because I, I go a uh, bomb on saying to people how simple communion antiphons are. This one is more complex. It's longer and it's elaborate. I hope we've got time to listen to all of it. I can see that the mm-hmm. time is taking away from us. But anyway, here is the communion antiphon, tanto tempore. Have I been with you all this time Philip and still you do not know me? Here it is. I'm going. one.
1: Sad not to have the text in front of me as we 're listening to that, um, was that I, do you know what tone that 's in
2: uh, Well, it says here that that 's oh. in tone four, oh, but the the version that we 're singing from there is from a Portuguese choir who have quite clearly got slightly different music um, with them, and I think there are modulations in there that are not repeated in the solemn edition mm. it makes It makes for quite an interesting uh, comparison. Yes, there are some um, some naturals in there instead of what yeah. we think of as B-flats that really change the way that that, that tone works.
1: Yeah, I'm a, so big, a big fan yeah. of those. Always, yeah, absolutely. I always try and do them when when I can.
2: Well, yes. the past is another country, and I think the same is true of, of music as as much of, as it is of historiography.
1: All um, right. So we we must press on because you've only got a little bit more time, um, but... We, uh... Well, shall
2: we listen to a bit, at least, of the Swaylink, the the same tanto tempore? This text resonates with me. I'm 66, and the idea of a kind of rebuke in the antiphons, have I been with you all this time, Nick, and still you do not know me, is, is something that, that really sticks with me. Here's Swaylink um, from the uh, 17th century, uh, late, early 17th century, on the same text. I know we're pressed for time, but um, May the 4th is a major feast day for quite a lot of people in this country. It's the Feast of the Martyrs of the Reformation. We've got people like John Houghton and the Carthusians. We've got this, the uh, Bridgene scholar, Richard Reynolds. We've got Margaret Pole, Blessed Margaret Plantagenet, Countess of Salisbury. We've got the Benedictine Abbots. We've got 284 canonized or beatified martyrs. And I just think we need to listen to some of Bird's Eustorum anime, The text here, the souls of the righteous are in the hand of God. Here is someone writing he had uh, moved from being at the centre of Elizabethan cultural life. He's sort of exiled himself a little bit, partly because he's more and more embracing Catholicism. And I think this text, the souls of the righteous are in the hands of God, has a a meaning beyond the simply biblical. It's meant as a consolatory piece for recusant Catholics under Elizabeth.
1: One of the things that you said about that, Nick, was that this could, um, if somebody took objection to this piece um, and sort of read into it what he was probably trying to say, he could always retreat into the fact that it was just a piece of scripture.
2: It's a piece of scripture. It uh, applies to the apostles. It applies to um, the pre-New Testament period. I don't think anyone would have any objection, but I think there is a a hidden subtext here.
1: Mm Now I really wanted us to have another piece for, of that
4: uh, a
1: Jewish a Jewish a Hebrew setting of the um, of another one of the Psalms um, and there's a little story that I wanted to tell about um, coming across the, that remarkable group that um, we played earlier the Mikedim. Um but I think we're going to have to leave that for next week.
2: Um, Alas, I think we are. <laughs>
1: And um, we're going to end, as we have promised to do, with a version of the Regina Celi. Do you have a, a word or two on this before I play it?
2: I think let's pre- let's press on and end with our, our our prayer to the to the Blessed Virgin as May starts, as Mary's month of May starts.
1: Yes, indeed, and thank you so much for listening. This has been the Liturgical Looking Glass, um, and you can listen to us again same time next week. The episodes are also available as podcasts. And we have a blog in which we put the links to versions of the pieces as well as any useful links um, to scores and things like that, which we think may be helpful. So thank you very much from me, Tim Hutchinson.
2: And me, Nick Swarbrick.
1: And we'll see you next week. God bless.